Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> yeah, that would have been some unfortunate feedback for everybody. That you, know. <laughs> you know, no. What did you pour for me? With get you now. Cat quake. Excuse me, cat quake. Come here, baby. Everybody wants to see you, not feel you quake the street. <laughs> so there's a season we should have We've been in a mood today. We've all been in a mood today. Nico's been biting anything that gets close to him. He just can't settle. Can't settle at all. <laughs> Hi, Dana. Hope you're having a good evening. Uh, a nice evening here. Yeah. Not too warm, not too cold. Got some stuff done. I got a new script done. Yeah. We had uh, one of our guys ran a tour a little while ago. So, uh, That's like a trip started. Yep. Yeah. been a productive evening. And uh, and now we're here with you all. Very happy to be here with y'all. Cheers. It's a whiskey night. Yeah. So cheers, everybody. Cheers. cheers. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right. So can't go wrong there. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so we are doing Haunted Victoria, uh, which is in British British Columbia, Canada. So just south of Vancouver. Yep. Yep. But. We'll get to that in just a minute. Yeah. Um, we've got a whole lot been going on. Um, we're doing tours now seven days a week. Yeah. So we'll be going seven days a week all the way through Labor August. Day. Labor Day. Through right up to Labor Day. And uh, then we'll take a little bit of a breather as we get ready for October. So good time there. Rest the voices. Yes. But uh, let's see. So, yeah, we had all that going on. We got the John Marshall tour, the special tour next week. Yes. On Friday. This, this coming Friday. Yes. Not next week. This coming Friday. So, Time has no meeting. Hmm? Time has no meeting. Time has no meeting anymore. Except for Friday 1st. That has no meeting. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. But, yeah, mm-hmm. so you got us this week. You're going to have us actually a week from today, and then we will be off uh, for two three weeks. weeks. Well, we're off the first two Mondays of Yes. Uh, It'll be three weeks until we're back. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. One day at a time. Yeah, I'm busy bees, that's for sure. It, it's been... It's been a little crazy. It has. And we're, and we're actually little... Sunday. Chris is going to be out at the market again. Yes, at the um, Flowered Cheetah down in Chester. So you can come catch me down there, and uh, we can chat. And uh, we'll have some Ponce of Richmond, uh, you know, goodies for sale down there and stuff like that. So it'll be a good time. Yep. Well, we got that going on. And then back in February on the 15th, um, market 15th, right? What? February? No, July. You said back in February. I'm sorry. When we're back in <laughs> when July. When we're back in July. <laughs> I swear I've only had one sip. <laughs> so, yes, when we're back in July. On the 15th, um, we are going to be down at uh, Henrikus Park um, doing a paranormal investigation that will actually benefit Scare Set Care, the charity that we support. Mm-hmm. Um, so, definitely, if you want to get um, at least tickets to left. Oh, yeah. Yeah, take us a life of that. If you want to come out and do a paranormal investigation with us, we'll be down there with Transcend and several other uh, groups as well. A whole lot of people getting in on it. It's going to be a good time. And then, of course, there is the main Care to Care Convention out in Williamsburg the last weekend of July, and we'll be out there all that weekend, too. So we got a lot going on. Uh, Keeping keep busy. Um, and, yeah. It's just, uh, that's just July. That, that's just, just through the end of July. So... 
Yeah, we're we're a little tired. We're a little frazzled. It's been it's been a, a day, not in a bad way. It's, yeah. It's just it's been a day. So. It's been a busy day. It's been yeah. a busy day. So we are ready to go. Heck, we'll go ahead. We'll dive into this now. Yeah. You guys think we got uh? I think we got our everybody here. And I always like to read the introduction. Yeah. He's so proud of it. I I I'm proud of my introduction. Yeah. So uh, as we mentioned, we're talking um, Victoria, British Columbia. So tucked away in a beautiful corner of Canada's west coast is the city of Victoria. Also aptly known as the Garden City, this area has been drawing people for thousands of years. From the First Nations to the Hudson's Bay Companies, the gold rush to the Edwardian-era building boom that has left the city with much of its most iconic architecture, the modern city is a major tourism hub with something for almost everyone. That said, every city with a shiny exterior will also cast some shadows. And having drawn so many people to its shores, it's little wonder that some of the spirits of generations past are lingering on today. There are many theories why there are so many ghosts in downtown Victoria. One reason is the long period of human occupation, spanning 6,000 years from the arrival of the first Aboriginal inhabitants. Some ghost experts believe that cracks or ley lines in the Earth's surface beneath Victoria emit powerful magnetic energy that somehow attracts spirits and magnifies their presence. Others suggest that the surrounding salt water, the underlying bedrock, the distant hills and mountains that wrap around the region, and the abundant natural springs all help retain ghostly energy. Whatever the reason, Victoria has more ghost stories associated with it than any other city in British Columbia. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that this is not our first stop in Victoria. We have previously chatted up spooky locations here in our Haunted Canada episode that we did on August 16th of last year. Those locations included Craigarock uh, Castle and Rogers Chocolate. And while we were not going to rehash those tales tonight, we do want to give them a mention so you can go back and check them out later if you are so inclined. And with that said... I get to start with the first square. Yes. Because Victoria is full of squares. Ask what I do. Um, uh-oh. Close it. I, no, not longer. I don't know. What am I doing? I don't know either. I somehow closed the document. There you go. We're back in business. Okay. That's close. There we go. We're now good. Now the keyboard's not up either. <laughs> Any questions before we go? I just saw Donnie check in. And I think I did Patrick check in, I think I saw. I'm trying to read on the screen over here, and it's very small. Yep, no <laughs> questions. Okay. Although, hmm, that everybody may have Uh-oh. dropped off. I don't know what's going on. But anyways, well, we'll keep going. we're going to keep going. Hopefully, we'll be back, and this gets recorded anyways. So, Because, you know, technology. All right, so uh, Bastion Square. It is right in the heart of uh, Victoria's old commercial district, where we find this beautiful square, it's a pedestrian thoroughfare that stretches for several blocks and buzzes with activity of people as they come and go from the restaurants, the pubs, and the cafes that line the area. In the summer months, you can also find artesian markets and outdoor patios that add to the vibrancy of this cozy corridor. The roots of Bastion Square can be traced back to the days when the Hudson Bay Company settled in this area and built a bastion and a fort to secure their holdings. Today, the buildings that surround the square are affectionately known as the heart of Congress Victoria. As almost every building on the square is said to have a ghost or two from the earlier generations of Victoria residents. 
The indigenous communities have also long acknowledged that this particular area has strong metaphysical powers, and even before the first colonial settlers arrived. Before we dive into the hauntings of the buildings that surround the square, let's take a little walk about outside. Tucked away on the south side of the square is an easy to miss entrance to Huffman Alley. This unassuming passage carries a dark secret from Victoria's past. It was one of, uh, once the home of the Gerald House where executions were conducted and the bodies of unclaimed prisoners were unceremoniously uh, buried. While the jailhouse was raised in 1885, you can still hear the clanking of the shackles or even clutch a glimpse of one of the condemned prisoners who met their ends here. The building just to the right of the alley has hosted numerous businesses through the years, including a restaurant that had live entertainment in the form of an organ player. While the organ and the musician are long gone, it said you can still stand by the window and hear him playing requests from a long lost era. One of the most haunted buildings that you'll actually see in the square is known as the Law Chambers, which stands at the corner of Bastion Square and Lime Street. Now, there are in fact some law offices in this building that date back to the 1800s, but it's better known for the restaurants that have resided here, including the current tenant, Wind Cries Mary. This modern restaurant is the latest to play host to the space in a permanent residence, a man named Brady, and a woman named Lady Churchill, or Charlotte. As you may suspect, these permanent residents are of the special sort, and the building leaves with no obligation from the restaurant to the spirits, or from the spirits to the restaurant, for that matter. As for why they're here, it's believed that Brady and Lady Churchill were involved, and that they were planning on meeting here one night many, many years ago. Unfortunately for both of them, Brady got into a fight, and his opponent Flashed his throat with a broken bottle. Yeah, not, not the way I'm going to go. Uh, Brady uh, soon uh, succumbed to his injuries, and we can only assume that Lady Churchill was devastated by the loss. And in the years that followed, it seems that Brady and Lady Churchill still come back to the restaurant space in the Law Chambers building to spend time together. Their presence is the most prominent uh, when you excuse me, smell cigar smoke and heavy perfume in the air. Okay. So continuing, uh, immediately across from the law chambers is the old courthouse. Visually, the structure stands out into its unique architecture. When it is uh, first completed in 1889, <clears throat> it was the first concrete structure to stand in Victoria. Now, just because it's concrete doesn't mean it's dull, though. And please ignore the monster crawling and riddling sounds underneath the camera. Exactly. We shouldn't have put the cat put yep. on top of the cat. No, we shouldn't have. But here we are. We're gonna have to save the camera at one point. Anyway. Um, it's an architectural gem that can be both imposing and pleasing to the eye in turns. It served as a courthouse until nineteen sixty two. And its original judges' bench, jury benches, and prisoners' dock are all still there. Uh, just as with nearby Heckman Alley, the executions and burials took place right outside, with many of the unmarked graves believed to be lingering nearby. Currently, the old courthouse building stands empty and unfortunately condemned, as most of the buildings, um, excuse me, as its most re uh, recent tenant, the Maritime Museum of British Columbia, 
relocated to a more modern building just a few blocks away. While time will eventually decide what moves into this historic structure, there will be a monumental tax ahead of them as they need to restore the structure as well as renovate it for their purposes. While there have not been any takers yet, there are some permanent residents that linger here of the spectral sort that are certain to keep it an eye on them. As a matter of fact, people claim that the old courthouse is the single most haunted building on Bastion Square, and that's saying something. A slender figure gliding down the main staircase has been seen and is thought to be the ghost of Victoria's infamous hanging judge, Sir Matthew Bailey Bigby. Sir Bigby has the reason for the hanging to uh, his reason for hanging on to real place of work. Well, he says he's looking for the next convict to hang, but this assessment doesn't really quite share his whole story. Despite the hanging judge name, uh, of which he was actually never referred to while he was alive, uh, is a sort of odd because he was actually a fair and enlightened individual who treated people equally in his courtroom. In the colonial era in which Sir Big B presided over, it would have been easy for him to turn a blind eye to the many indigenous tribes and Chinese immigrants who resided in the British Columbia colony. However, Sir Bigby actually learned a number of local dialects, so when he held court with indigenous people, there was no need for an interpreter. Uh, he was also allowed people of other cultures to swear an oath of truth on an object that was sacred to them and not necessarily swearing to God on the Bible. His fairness was also reflected in his rulings as well where violence against the indigenous people and minorities by white settlers were not tolerated, a crime that would frequently be brushed over by other authorities during the era. Well, not every First Nations individual walked out of Sir Bigby's courtroom with a ruling in their favor. They generally walked away with at least a fair trial in court. While Sir Bigby passed away in 1894, his funeral procession was unprecedented as mourners poured into the streets Mark's passing as a man that many considered to be British Columbia's first citizen. So Sir Beckley definitely did enjoy his job, and he did it very well. So well, in fact, that he's likely sticking around as a reminder to all those who followed after him that they should be fair in their judgments, no matter who may become before the bench of the court. Aside from being seen on the stairs in the building, he's also been seen in the courtroom, which he presided over. When the Maritime Museum was in residence, guests would often come back to the front desk and comment on the unfriendly staff member in the black robe that they would see in the courtroom space. The staff desk would then have the awkward task of explaining to them that they had not encountered a staff member. Rather, they had encountered the spirit of the museum who was sometimes Sir <clears throat> uh, uh, Bigby himself and he was inspecting his chamber. Now, in a move that might be considered questionable, by those of us in the paranormal field. Um, the museum actually used to host lock-in for Boy Scouts and adult guides. Uh, they would actually sleep in the old courtroom. One incident, a Boy Scout actually had just settled down for the night when a sleeping bag was ripped aside and an angry voice, male voice, told him to get out. Well, this might make this, uh, Sir Bigby actually sound like somebody who loathes children. It was actually the opposite. He didn't want children to witness how low adults would think and their behaviors. If not too much actually has changed in the last 120, 130 years, huh? Okay. Well, the, well the hanging judge moniker might be a bit overstated. There are certainly notable number of executions that took place as a result of the trial that occurred in the old courthouse. So Bibby was responsible for some of them. 
uh, as were his colleagues that would come afterwards. Simply put, murder convictions in the air were punished with a death sentence. And that was a law prescribed, and it was the responsibility of the judge to hand down the punishment, whatever they cared for, whether or not they cared for. However, many of the convicts who were members of the First National Nations tribe, and some of whom did not get fair trials. The injustice of their deaths may, be, may have been keeping their spirits loose to the ground upon which their lives were stolen. Other condemned men were some of those who flocked to Victoria and the surrounding area during the gold rush. These prospectors often moved, uh, excuse me, often moved here alone, uh, without friends or family, and uh, without a proper network when they had poor prospecting. It was easy to actually break these men's spirits. So they may have become violent drunks. They may have turned to crime to make up for the prospecting shortfalls. It wasn't unusual for an errant prospector to find their way into the end of a hangman's move. It's thought that many of these law schools stayed at the courthouse, and perhaps it was because they had nowhere else to go. Now, while we hope the courthouse can afford to find a respectable and uh, respectable and respected living tenant in the near future. Um, perhaps that one will help share the dark history of the building, tell the stories of those who are still went to the site uh, many years after the last court cases were stopped being held in this building that we have. Yeah. Yeah, the building is in, um, it's not going to be allowed to fall down. It's not going to be torn down. It's a historic building. It's a historic site, but it is admittedly in some dire straits. The building needs a lot of work. And I'm Fortunately, because of its historic stature and the way that it's managed, anybody who moves in there is basically only going to be able to at best like leave the building. Yeah. But then they'll also be on the hook for, the for the renovations, which it's a, a big ask of any tenant. So um, it's going to be a real history lover that goes in there. Or a building mother that's going to go in there. Yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, it it wind up probably be more a passion of a a work of passion more than a work of profit. So we'll see what happens in place. But we're not done in Bastion Square. Uh, we're going to go to the far east end of Bastion Square, where stands Garrick's Head Pub. Hi, is, Bob. Yep, which has been a popular spot uh, for a drink since it first opened in 1867. People frequented the pub before watching the public executions that would take place at the prison and courthouse facilities just a short distance away. As with most of the other buildings on the square, it has a spirit of its own. One has been seen sitting by the fireplace on chilly winter nights and is thought to be the ghost of Michael Powers, former pub owner who was mysteriously murdered over 100 years ago. It was about 3 a.m. on Sunday morning, October 1st, 1899, as Michael was unlatching his front gate when something struck him from behind. A towel wrapped around five pounds of sand caught Mike on the back of the neck and busted open, covering him with a dusty contents. Let me just say, City police later learned that Powers' attackers were two people, and one who apparently welded the sandbag proceeded to kick Michael Powers into unconsciousness after the breakage of the sandbag. Powers died four days later from a ruptured liver. The attackers were never found and brought to justice. The motive was not robbery, but was suspected that a previous wife and her lover decided to demonstrate their hatred of Mr. Powers, so, uh, though the theory was never proven. 
Of the other spirits who may linger on at Garrick's head, they may actually be some of those who are condemned to death by Sir Begbie. The judge didn't always care for handing down death sentences, and on more than one occasion, he would ensure that the condemned received a respectable last meal. That last meal would often be served up at Garrick's. Could the condemned convicts be returning to the place where they last received an ounce of kindness? Speaking for myself, but I can think of worse places to spend an afterlife uh, at, uh, rather than, you know, can't think of worse places to spend an afterlife uh, other than a, you know, classy rustic pub with a tap list that offers 65 taps. I love a good tap list. Uh, and so if you ever find yourself looking for ghosts in Bastion Square, the Garrick's Head Pub is certainly a good place to start or end your evening of paranormal endeavors. Well, we know where we're eating when we go to the school. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, we are going to go and uh, turn away from uh, Bastion Square, and uh, we're going to take a walk to the south. And after our winding our way through Victoria's historic neighborhood for about 25, 30 minutes, we'll find ourselves in the middle of the beautiful Beacon Hill Park. Established in 1882, this 200-acre park is the jewel of downtown Victoria. The park was named after two masts located on a hill that served as a beacon for mariners approaching the city's inner harbor. With scenic trails, a petting zoo, a wading pool, water fountains, a band pavilion, sports fields, monuments, and more, you could easily wander here for hours taking it all in. Behind the beauty of Beacon Hill Park, its history is rife with controversy and disputes, and it has also been the site of many deaths. These generally consist of accidents, suicides, natural causes such as heart attacks, and, well, even murder. Of all the death and all the spirits that the park may hold, there is one in particular that has etched her way into the talented history of Beacon Hill Park. In the late 1970s, there were witnesses to a dark-complexioned woman with long blonde hair standing atop a rock in the park at the corner of Douglas Street in Southgate. She simply stood, unmoving, morning after morning, for several months. The people who saw this woman thought it was strange that she was just standing there every day, but they didn't take much notice of her otherwise. After she stopped showing up, she was soon forgotten. However, in 1983, a woman with fair skin and long, dark hair was seen repeatedly standing atop the same rock morning after morning, repeating the behavior of her predecessor from the decade before. She reminded local residents of the other woman, with two exceptions. First, this woman had the opposite complexion and hair colors, and second, she was most obviously an apparition. Her appearance was vaporous, misty, and definitely not corporal. Then on, a, on, no, excuse me, then on November 15, 1983, a body was found in a shallow grave under some bushes near the rock where the woman had been spotted. The remains were of a female who fit the description of the dark-haired woman, and it was soon discovered that she was a local woman who had gone missing on June 2, 1983. The estimated that she had been cru- uh, crudely buried there the whole time she'd been missing, the spot laying only meters from a well-used path. Since then, the dark-haired woman had been spotted by people using the path, usually sitting upon the rock where she had been standing. That she usually said that her appearance is one of her pose, almost as if she's meditating, but her mouth is hanging open in a silent scream. Many passersby have said they stopped to ask her if she was okay, only to be completely ignored. 
The stories vary after they walk away. Some have said they turned back, turned and looked back, but she had completely disappeared. Others have said they looked back and saw her turning to a mist and vanishing. So why the two apparitions? Some who have studied this case and the paranormal and the paranormal lean on the doppelganger theory. Now, the word doppelganger comes from the German language and refers to one's double. Many other cultures have an equivalent of this phenomenon, and the doubles may also be referred to as fetches and vargards, depending on where in the world you're discussing the phenomenon. In Norse myth, the vargarder perceives the person performing the tasks that they are soon to do ahead of them. As for doppelgangers and fetches, the folklore goes that if yours is seen, it's a harbinger of your death and considered very ominous. Many people throughout history have claimed to see their doppelganger. Among them are Abraham Lincoln and Queen Elizabeth I, who reportedly saw her doppelganger lying in her bed shortly before she passed away. Many have argued that the earlier woman seen in Beacon Hill Park, the blonde-haired version, was the doppelganger of the murdered woman. The dark-haired apparition is her spirit and has only appeared since her death. The phenomenon of her doppelganger being blonde while she was brunette has also had some basis in paranormal theory and history. Many times, prior reports would have been made of doppelgangers appearing as a photonegative of the person, which would explain why the earlier version was fair-haired and dark-skinned. So, interesting little doppelganger tag there. Yeah. Not that I saw them, but in my mother's camp photos when she was growing up, there was a woman in there that looked exactly like me. So maybe I'm her about the thing. How big a sponsor? An alien. <laughs> you are constantly changing your hair color. And change it again Friday. I haven't had enough to drink. <laughs> All right, we're going to move over to Market Square in Chinatown, because, you know, Chinatown. Do we have any questions? No, no questions. <laughs> All right, so after you uh, join the beautiful settings of Beacon Hill Park, we're going to stroll north um, past Matthew Square and on our way to Mar- uh, Market Square and, of course, the neighbor, Chinatown. Now, of course, I would have been a shorter walk to get there from Bastion Square and then continue our adventure there, but, you know, Victoria is a very walkable city, so get out there and get your set. Now, um, once you get to Market Square, the situation uh, at the, situated at the corner of Johnson and Wharf Street, you're going to find that this area is at the name. Brick and bean buildings from the 1800s surround an open-air courtyard with many unique boutiques to explore, and just a block away, Chinatown immerses you in the beauty and culture of China's oldest and Chinese, me, Canada's oldest Chinese neighborhood. Apparently, I should not be drinking. <laughs> Do I need to finish yours too? No. Oh, okay. Now, of course, you can get your authentic cuisine there, uh, and there are many nooks and crannies to explore down the area's colorful alleyways. As you settle yourself into the pleasant surroundings, you will likely have a difficult time reconciling this district with its storied cat and sleazy vice district uh, name or aura. <laughs> it's getting gathering. I'm sorry to warn you. 
They're plotting. They are. Uh, a path, of course, that makes itself much more prevalent when you consider the haunting tales that, of course, come from this area. The ghosts that frequent Market Square in Chinatown are thought to be the one-time visitors to the saloons, the brothels, and the gambling den that called Johnson Street home. And they served as the foundation for Victoria's once infinite red light district. We're going to start with the tale of Agnes Bings. On September 29th of 1899, Miss Bings missed the last streetcar home after a day of work at the Pilgrim Bakery. This is located on what is now Market Square. And, of course, she decided that, well, she's going to have to walk home and cross over the railway bridge to get there. She was found dead in a Jack the Ripper-style murder on the west side of the bridge in the area where the modern Johnson Street Bridge now stands. Her more than a century-old unsolved murder might be why she has never left the area. Her ghostly figure has been seen in Market Square and standing near the spot where her mutilated body was found. While her murderer surely could no longer be among the living themselves, one can hardly fault Agnes Bings for sticking around to remind others of the injustice that she faced over 120 years ago. In Chinatown, you can bask in the safety and the comfort that welcomes you as you walk under the gates of the harmonious entrance, a feature that is decorated with many symbols to ward off evil spirits. However, stands in contrast with the paranormal energy that you can feel pulsing off the abandoned opium dens and gambling halls of San Tan Alley, Canada's narrow street. At just a few feet wide, the history of this alley lies just under a thin veneer of modern comfort and shopping opportunities. With such a narrow space, it doesn't take much to disturb the tranquility of the modern day and an occurrence that comes in the form of a panicked villain. In the area of opium dens and brothels, and gambling halls, a young Chinese man was pushing his way through and hid there after killing a prostitute. He had spurned his advances, and in revenge, he brutally killed her. He was given a course of proper burial, and in order to appease her spirit, there had never been reports of her haunting anywhere. The man, however, is said to still sprint down Fantan Alley, pushing people out of his way as he forever searches for a place to escape the consequences of his crime. So just see where you might get us on if you go down the alleyway. Yeah. <laughs> a little shove on the shoulder from a, a villain of years past. Yep. Now, back in the area of Market Square, another woman is said to haunt the district. So her story and fate are considerably different from that of Mrs. Bing. Uh, Belle Adams was a beautiful young woman who had moved to Victoria to be with her lover, Charles Kincaid. Unfortunately for Belle, it seems that Mr. Kincaid and the city of Victoria were not all that she had hoped for. Though she stayed at Kincaid's side, she ended up turning to prostitution to make a living. This didn't seem to have been Belle's first choice on how she made ends meet. And on June 3rd of 1898, this disappointment, anger, and fear and or jealousy seems to have boiled over the Charles Kincaid on the receiving end. Well, the exact circumstances leading up to this incident are unclear. What is known is that Bell took a razor to the jugular veins of Charles in the stairwell of the Sleazy Empire Hotel. Charles was able to stagger out onto Johnson Street where he clapped after crying, My God, she's killed me. When the police arrived, they found Bell on Charles's lifeless corpse, shouting, I was mad to do it, but oh, I loved you so. I, 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 I don't know. And I'm wondering, creepy man, I don't know, maybe. Insanity, please, definitely. 
Oscar nomination, perhaps. <laughs> At the trial, Bell testified that she was acting in self-defense on the night of the murder. Her lawyers called on several witnesses who claimed that they had seen Charles with Bell in Seattle on several occasions while threatening her life. More evidence came forward to support the theory that Bell acted in self-defense when she had cut her lover's throat. In an overcrowded courtroom on October 11th at 1898, the judge instructed the jury that the evidence showed Bell Adams acted in self-defense. It took the jury one week to deliberate, and in spite of the sympathetic judge, Adams was found guilty of manslaughter and was sentenced to five years in prison. While Bell didn't exactly meet a grisly end at Market Square, it may be that she too lingers in a protest of injustice. Whether it be of her own mind or a true miscarriage of justice is the subject of historical debate over 120 years later. Both Bell and Charles are seen at the one-time Esquire Hotel that is now part of Market Square. A shadowy figure with a cackling laugh is seen around Market Square that is thought to be Bell. And while the paranormal encounters are not exactly evidence for determining innocence or guilt, if this shadow is in fact Bell, maybe a charge of manslaughter was a little too light of a punishment. As for Charles Kincaid, this prospect uh, of questionable morals was put to rest in the Popper's grave in Rock Bay Cemetery, which happens to be our next stop. So, from uh, Market Square down to Rock Bay Cemetery, it's, uh, this is one of the most historic locations in all of Victoria. Since 1873, the 27 acres of land overlooking the Salish Sea had been a burial site for the citizens of Victoria. And alongside the pauper's graves of people like Charles Kincaid, it also contains many famous figures. The site gets more of a purpose. Ross Bay Cemetery is considered a beautiful place for a stroll. Breathtaking views, intricate pillars, and magnificent mausoleums and towering trees are some of the charming features that entice walkers to pay the site a visit. Originally, the Victorian-style burial ground was owned by Isabella Mainville Ross. This was a feat for a number of reasons, including the fact that she was the first independent female landowner in province, as well as being of indigenous heritage. Her son's grave marker has witnessed the arrival of numerous extravagant headstones and pillars, and is one of the last surviving original markers. Besides the towering stones of the wealthier people buried in the cemetery, there are some intriguing headstones to come across in the park. Seashells, poetry, and even a fire hat exist within the rows of tombstones and are something to keep an eye out for while looking for famous names. Some of the most famous Canadians and Americans buried in the cemetery include, include British Columbia's first governor, Sir James Douglas, the coal baron responsible for the existence of Craigdark Castle, and as we mentioned earlier, you can go back and hear about some of the castle's haunts on our Haunted Canada episode from August 16th last year. But then there's also Emily Carr, one of Canada's most prominent artists whose one-time home in Victoria is now, the na now a national historic site and a cultural center. If you're not familiar with Carr, she's celebrated all across Canada with libraries and schools named after her from coast to coast and didn't achieve widespread acclaim until the age of 57. The way she lives her life reminds me a bit of a, you know, Richmond-owned Ellen Glasgow. Um, they lived during the same era, both born in the early 1870s, and they both passed away in the same year of 1945, and they were both women that were admirably ahead of their time. We'll head a little bit more on Emily Carr in just a bit. 
Now, one final notable internment at Ross Bay is Sir Matthew Bailey Bigby, our previously discussed hanging judge. Now, being a cemetery, Ross Bay is a hotspot for ghost tours. While access to the cemetery is forbidden after dusk, a ghost tour through the park will still raise the hairs on your arms. The cemetery is known to have several resident ghosts, including Isabella Ross herself. Given the grim founding of the cemetery, with Ross's son being the first burial, it's a little surprise that she presents herself as a gaunt woman in black with sorrowful, powerful, sorrowful, yes, sunken eyes. She is often found sitting on a granite curbstone by a grave. After a fleeting glimpse, she will disappear. When people take a closer look at the grave marker near where the woman was seated, they find the name Isabella Ross. There is also believed to be the spirit of David Thief, a well-loved socialite, former firefighter, and active volunteer in the community. Thief was murdered on the steps of St. Andrew's Cathedral on Christmas Eve night in 1890 as he emerged from Mass. It's believed that it was a botched assassination and that the shooter got the wrong man. Thief's funeral was attended by mourners from far and wide. And it's said that his heavy presence can be felt both on the grand marble pillar that marks the burial site in Rock Bay Cemetery and on the steps of St. Andrew's Cathedral where he was murdered. Interesting side note, his murderer, Lawrence Wilhelm, turned himself in and had his day in court in front of Sir Begbie. Despite the mountain of evidence, the jury only returned a guilty verdict on the lesser charge of manslaughter. Sir Begbie was incensed at the relative slap on the wrist, as there was no clearer case of premeditated murder that he had seen in the courtroom. Sir Begbie couldn't hand down a death sentence for manslaughter and begrudgingly sentenced Wilhelm to life in prison. Wilhelm would only serve 10 years in prison, though, as an order from the Ministry of Justice set him free. Perhaps this inexplicable and inexcusable life punishment is, uh, is what has left David Fee in a less-than-restful state for all of these years. I think I should have just called this the Big B. He does show up quite prominently. He, I mean, he was basically Victoria's leading citizen for quite a long time in its most formative years. He's like a test at this story. Yeah, yeah just about. He's, he makes a lot of appearances. Am I going to keep going? Yes, you are. Okay, all right. Moving along, from Ross Bay, we will move back to the west to what is likely the most photographed building in all of Victoria, the Parliament House. This magnificent structure stands at the southern end of Victoria Harbor and makes for quite the patriotic site in the heart of downtown. Much like Virginia's own state capital, this seat of legislative power is believed to be the home of many ghosts. But the most famous of all is thought to be Francis Rattenberry an Englishman and the architect that designed the buildings in the 1890s. Despite the notable architectural achievement, Rattenberry's life thereafter would be marked by social and financial scandal that found him and his wife back in Rattenberry's homeland of England in hopes of leaving scandal and disgrace behind. <laughs> now, how... Huh? This guy was not cool. This guy was a piece of work. So just how scandalous... Could it be, you might ask? Well, let, let's get into it. Just a little they bit. They can make a movie on Yeah. That now, the wife he took to England was his second wife, Alma, a woman about 30 years younger than himself. He and his first wife, Florence, had quickly discovered that they were not compatible. 
but Florence refused Francis a divorce. They continued to live together at opposite ends of their house, even after Francis took up with Alma. Francis would entertain Alma in the house loudly. Despite this, Florence continued to deny Francis a divorce. Francis finally moved out, and as parting gift, he shut off the heat and the light in the home. Florence relented and granted the divorce after this. Francis and Alma immediately married, but their very public relationship before the divorce had made them social pariahs in Victoria. This social exile resulted in the professional exile for Francis as well. His plan to escape from scandal failed as Alma took up an affair with their 18-year-old chauffeur at their new home in England. The end result of this torrid affair was the violent murder of Rattenberry. His body rests uneasily in an unmarked grave by his home in uh, Bournemouth, England. It is believed Rattenberry returns to haunt his most famous edifice to seek the recognition that he craves. He has been most often seen at various points throughout the building, seemingly trying to draw attention to some of the more unique architectural details. It makes sense, as he would most likely wish for his legacy to be noted for his professional accomplishments rather than for his scandalous behavior. And a story, guys, we like to talk about scandal. Yeah, it was a piece of work. So. And karma yeah. in that end. <laughs> yep. So on a related note, Rattenberry's ghost is also said to linger around one of his other notable works of architecture in Victoria, the Empress Hotel. The hotel sits adjacent to the Parliament House on the harbor front and gives the seat of government a run for its money when it comes to the most photographed places in Victoria. As a matter of fact, now, if you took a look at the uh, cover photo for our episode tonight, it is actually the Empress Hotel that you see most prominently in that cover photo for tonight's show. Rattenberry has been sighted in the hotel lobby, casually swinging his cane around as he meanders about, appreciating his architectural accomplishments. And yes, Patrick, you do hear the kitten running about because we got some new colors with louder bells. They are on a chair tonight. They are. Are you taking it over? I, I will have yeah. not Thunderbird. And Thunderbird. Not Thundercat. And, and somebody's somebody, crying. Somebody's screaming in the background. <laughs> going up the stairs. All right. So just steps away from the beautiful architecture of the Rattenberry, or that Rattenberry could be brought into life in the place that is dedicated to a much different chapter of Canadian history. Thunderbird Park was established in 1941 to display totems from several of the First Nations tribes. And it takes the name from the Thunderbird that is also depicted on many of the poles. We also find a cedar building with a large native motif called the Mungo Martin House, an authentic recreation of the native Big House. First Nations had lived in British Columbia for thousands of years. Uh, the reported hauntings of Thunderbird Park are not rampant or highly attractive in any way, but we feel that it's worth a mention here for the cultural aspect of the play. In First Nation culture, the human and supernatural worlds are not separate. Dances and songs of spirits and supernatural beings have been passed down through generations. The Mungo Martin House is currently used as a center for First Nation spiritual gatherings, where by flickering firelight, masked dancers engage in the art to bring the spirit world to life. I would love to go to one of those ceremonies. I just think that'd be cool. 
your kittens aren't about to start fighting. As we said, they're in the mood. All right, so now we're going to move on to St. Anne's Academy. And this is just a little beyond Vanderbilt Park. Uh, this former school was built by the Roman Catholic Congregation of Women of the Sisters of St. Anne. The chapel was built in 1858, and it's the oldest part of the academy. A convent was added in 1887, and the academy served as the girls' Catholic boarding school and day school for grades 3 through 12. The boys from kindergarten to third grade, excuse me, and boys for kindergarten to third grade. The academy also served as a residential school for First Nation orphans and girls. The Sisters of St. Anne closed the academy in 1973. They sold the property to British Columbia government, which had used it for office space for years. Unfortunately, the building was in need of major repairs, and it had to be closed. After years of debate, the interior of the building was gutted and rebuilt to modern office space. Mostly serving as the Ministry of Advanced Education and used, um, a use that is consistent with the sisters' aim. The chapels, the parlors, and infirmary were retained as an interpretive center and restored to their 1920s decor. An auditorium at the other end of the building was also restored and is used for public lectures and concerts. The building was reopened in 1997. Despite the modern amenities that the facility now provides, the Academy's history comes through in many ways, including the occasional appearance of the nuns who lived and sometimes died uh, here on it, uh, during its day at the convent. Sometimes, in the early morning hours, the spirits of these previous residents can be seen wandering the grounds, often looking concerned. It's believed that their anxiety is rooted in making sure that the place that they put so much of their lives into continues to meet their expectations and reflect on their values. Given that the building fell to ruin once before, we can't say that their concerns are entirely unfounded. While a paranormal encounter can never be guaranteed, you can go visit the necessary at your leisure, and if you don't see their apparitions, you can see the cemetery that remains here as the final resting place for nine of the sisters. Aside from the nuns, we also thought uh, we are also thought to believe that Emily Carr is here. We told you, of course, we would come back to her. As with many of the famous authors and artists, Emily is said to haunt several locations in the city. Almost everybody wants to believe that a piece of haunted history lingers within their walls. Without getting into the debate about where Emily Carr may or may not actually haunt, we will say that in addition to the Academy, her spirit is said to make appearances at the home and Government Street and by the James Bay Inn. For the Academy itself, people claim to see her silhouette at the bell tower. How would they know that at Dunley? The silhouette is said to have a distinct outline of a monkey sitting on its shoulder, just like Emily's pet monkey, Woo, to do in life. We'll wrap up St. Anne's with a bizarre story associated with the addition to the convent. This was designed by architect Thomas Hoffer, who was rumored, and we emphasize rumor here, to have killed several people and poured their bodies into the foundations of his buildings to give them a soul. Buildings needed souls. And this is a very admittedly kind of slanderous rumor. We're, we're chalking this up to local legend. We just want to be clear on this point. It's just kind of a very bizarre and interesting tidbit that uh, we thought we'd go ahead and throw it in this evening. There aren't bodies in the mortar shards. <laughs> Carrying on, though, it is an interesting uh, theory, if you will. It is. It is. 
That's not the first time we've come across something like that. No, no, not at all. Anyway, so while it's highly unlikely, of course, uh, it may be associated with this tendency to try to um, try and completely disregard the architectural wishes of his clients. Hopper uh, initial designs would often be wildly out of line with the commission that he was presented with, and he was often sent back to the drawing board. St. Anne's is one of the places where Hopper was told to scrap his initial uh, proposal, and some of his detractors likely started to rumor about the buried bodies, because if Hopper could not realize his architectural vision, he would need to give the building some soul in another very unconventional manner. Kind of interesting, but yeah, most likely something that was put out there as complete bull slander. Just like, um, who is it that, um, I'm blanking on the guy's name, the one that uh, rushed out of the gate with, like, telling so stories about Poe after he passed away. Oh, I don't remember his name, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm blanking on his name. I'd have to look it up, but yeah, there was gentleman that basically um, sent his, rival. his rival and sent all put all kinds of bizarre scandalous wrote the first biography and, and half yeah. of it was not true. Yeah. So just enough of it was true for people to follow it's like, oh yeah, Poe was there at that point in time, but then uh, that that's mm-hmm. yeah, something off about that. Yeah. And uh, it kind of it did definitely contribute to Poe's um, the the, the um, the image that people have of Poe today of this always somber, always miserable, dark individual, which, I mean, he certainly, of course, had his moments, and it was certainly reflected in his writing, but he was by no means always a dour, miserable individual. And the photo we most often associate with Poe was taken while he was sick, so he looks for it to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> but interesting tidbits there. They basically did the same thing with this architect up there in uh, Victoria. So, anyway, moving on. Moving on. We're going to go about a kilometer to the north where we find another square. This one is Pioneer Square. And this small park sits next to Christ Church Cathedral. But before it was a park, it served as a cemetery from 1855 to 1873. As you move through the park, where about 1,300 people remain interred, you'll see numerous gravestones and tombs marking these, many of these final resting places. That said, many of the markers had degraded, their inscriptions lost the time, or the markers lost altogether. The peaceful atmosphere that Pioneer Square presents in the middle of the city will sometimes be disturbed by the appearance of a specter or two. The most frequently spotted spirit at Pioneer Square is that of Adelaide Griffin, who died in July of 1861 at the all-too-young age of 31. She and her husband were the proprietors of the Boomerang Saloon in Victoria, which they opened just off of Bastion Square in 1858. Just like Garrick's Head Pub, which opened almost a decade later, the Boomerang was a popular place for people to gather as they, uh, as they awaited the public executions that took place nearby. What caused Adelaide's untimely demise is still a mystery, but apparently it was completely unexpected. Perhaps it was typhoid, or maybe she was poisoned by a disgruntled patron of the boomerang. The theories are boundless, and there's no evidence to prove any one theory over the next. Perhaps it was the sudden nature of her passing, though, that brought her back on Christmas Eve of 1861, at least for the first time. 
It was recorded that she was seen near the site of her burial in what is now Pioneer Square, and then in Bastion Square near the Boomerang. This ghostly report from so many years ago was the first recorded paranormal encounter in the history of Victoria. Adelaide has been sighted uh, many times since that day, particularly on Christmas Eve, which has led many ghost hunters to linger around Pioneer Square and Bastion Square late on December 24th each year in hopes of having an encounter of their own. Then there is also the spirit of Richard Johnson, sometimes called Robert Johnson. The most common story associated with Johnson is that he is seen reenacting his suicide by drawing a razor blade across his throat. But this is likely a wild fabrication or exaggeration of a paranormal encounter that occurred many years ago. In the 1860s, Johnson was a prominent and outspoken member of society in early Victoria, often to the chagrin of the community's movers and shakers. This is because Johnson was of African descent, and given the time, that just rubbed some people the wrong way. Johnson had been a captain in the Victoria Rifle Pioneer Corps, a unit compromised entirely of freed American slaves, until it was disbanded in 1865 as a result of of discrimination and discomfort expressed by some arrogant members of Victoria society. Despite this insult and setback, Johnson continued to speak out in favor of racial equality until his death in 1870, a death that is still marked by its murky circumstances. The articles that were published after Johnson's death made no mention of suicide, and Johnson was granted a Christian funeral, a service that would have been denied if he had taken his own life. Johnson was buried in Pioneer Square right across the street from the house where he had lived. His first reported spectral appearance was in 1871 by the subsequent owners of the house where he had spent so much time. He was seen numerous times at Pioneer Square after that. Almost all the reports refer to Johnson drawing a finger across his throat. If these reports are true, then it's more likely that Johnson may be trying to implicate uh, implicate how he was murdered rather than how he did himself in. Johnson had lived through much worse times as slave in America versus any discrimination that he faced in Victoria. He's remembered as a thoughtful and articulate leader that had a strong spirit. Any grisly report of a suicide was likely a convenient way to try and sweep this prominent historical figure under the rug in a society that was dominated by European settlers. There have been no credible sightings of Johnson for many years now, and we hope that's because he has finally found rest. Perhaps society finally evolves to a point where he's happy with the state of things, or maybe those who are truly responsible for his death were brought to some degree of justice. In any case, Richard Johnson is founding father. Uh, Richard Johnson is a founding father of Victoria that deserves a better remembrance than many give him. Maybe they did that together with him in the afterlife. Found <laughs> them in the afterlife. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go to the Langham Court Theater. Um, this is the last stop we're going to be at tonight, and it's just a few blocks to the east. Uh, this cozy facility seats 175 guests in the heart of the Rockland neighborhood, just on the edge of downtown Victoria. The building that now serves as a theater was originally a carriage house built by the Ward family in the 1880s. Over the years, it would have served as a classroom, a gymnasium, and an auditorium before the Victoria Little Theater bought it in 1940, settling on the current Langham Court Theater operated by the Victoria Theater Guild. Um, 
Now, amidst the theatrical productions that can be easily mistaken for a paranormal encounter with special effects, an actor in the background, or perhaps stagehand, but over the years, both actors and patrons alike have come to believe that the theater is haunted by a spirit that they know as the lady in the vault. Some think that this is a lingering spirit of a former stable hand from the days of when the building was still a carriage house. Others believe she's a student from the St. George's School for Girls that, is, that actually resided in the building for over several years. Aside from the lady's special appearances, there have been reports of disembodied voices, objects moving on their own over the years, and it's been enough for the theater to rent the space out for private paranormal investigations in recent years. All told, the activity is an accepted part of the life in the theater today. If you enjoy trying to spot spirits in the background of your theatrical production, make sure you stop by for the show. First, let's bring us to the end of our haunted jump through Victoria, British Columbia, at least for tonight. We have actually extra stories that didn't make it into the script. So they'll be appearing later on, either another haunted Victoria or another haunted... Um, British Columbia. Yeah, I mean, we we could if we flesh out some of these stories, probably yeah. probably do an entire another episode on Victoria. But we'll see what we do with it because um you know we maybe we able to split it up. We got castle in here, we got hotel in here, so, so maybe they'll find their way into another haunted hotel script, a haunted castle script. Um, there's even a haunted golf course. So you know, teeing off with ghosts. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So we'll we'll see exactly where they uh, where those stories wind up. But I promise that it, this uh, tonight it will not be the last time you hear about Victoria, British Columbia. And uh, and plus, actually, I have two other neighborhoods in British Columbia, including the Vancouver that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. So we'll be back in the area. Oh yes, we're well. Heck, we're not going too far for the next episode. No. Next episode, we are going to be going up to the great state of Alaska. So that'll be a fun one, which uh, admittedly, is a lot of editing still needs to be done. I have, uh, have a job to do. I have a job to do, but that is going to be not two weeks from today. That is going to be this very next week. So the, Because, again, the, we're, we're going away. We're yeah. not going to have Internet access, so we're moving the normal show up a week while we're on vacation, and then we'll be back to the normal schedule. Yep, yeah, so... Yep, next week, uh, June 27th, so we'll be uh, Haunted Alaska. Yep, and then two days after that, we'll be off, but then we'll be back on again. Yep, yep so it's going to be, uh, be fun. And, uh, yeah, in the meantime, um, again, you can come on out. You can join us on a tour any night of the week now. Um, we're, we're doing seven nights a week up until Labor Day. Um, you can uh, see me this coming Sunday uh, at the uh, Flowers Cheetah down in Chester. They're having a... Uh, like a, an oddities, um, oddities show thing uh, that we are uh, participating in the last Sunday of the month. Yep, and then mid-June, so, uh, starting in July, July 15th, we're going to be at Hermericus for an investigation. And at the end of the month, we're going to be at um, Scarce Care in Williamsburg. Yep, the, the big convention out there, which um, is going to be a lot of fun. they got a lot of, um, you know, got some good big-name guests that are going to be at the uh, convention this year. It is an ET reunion. It's going to be a, it's going to be pretty awesome. It is. I, I have the magazine so I can find it. Yeah. so happy. Yeah, so got that going on. Oh, and, of course, we can't forget to mention um, the uh, the clock is ticking for uh, jo- joining us in uh, Key West this coming December. 
Um, so uh, hauntsofkeywest.com. You can go check out the itinerary. And if you are so inclined, which we, of course, hope you are, you can go ahead and make, some res- uh, make a reservation to come on down there and join us in Key West for a weekend of uh, paranormal fun. Yes, so you don't have to have equipment. Chris and I actually are bringing equipment for people yep. to use on our two investigations. And also, you're staying at a fun location. We're eating at a brewery one night that is wanted. So it is going to be a fun night or a fun weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, the very first night, um, nobody has to bring equipment. If, I mean, you only have to bring equipment if you want to because uh, David Sloan, father of Key West uh, Ghost Be Stuff, is um, he's providing it that he's night. Providing it that night uh, as we uh, tour the East uh, East Martello Fort Museum and uh, visit Robert the Doll. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, gosh, got got a lot going on, and that's just uh, that's just the stuff going on in this next month. Plus we have, and, yeah, and we have stuff in the works, but we're waiting to finalize it before we announce it. Oh, yeah. So And, oh, in, uh, also in the very short term, this coming Friday, you remember you can join us for our kind of our limited series, uh, our uh, special event where we're partnered with the John Marshall House. Yeah. So you can come on out and tour the John Marshall House, for, uh, do a ghost tour in the John Marshall House for about a half an hour, and then come outside with us for an hour of um, uh, more ghost stories of uh, the Court and neighborhood surrounding the John Marshall House. So it's going to be always something going on. Yeah. But uh, we are very excited, happy to uh, be able to uh, see you all soon, and very happy to have you all joining us tonight. And I think, I think that's, that's it. it. So with that, we will see you all uh, week from today yep. for Haunted Alaska. Yep. And real quick. Oh, no. Nope. Lulu's not going to let you have her. Lulu's like, no, denied. And here comes a baby boy. Here comes a Vincent. Say hello, Vincent. Yeah. Ah, uh-huh. uh-huh. this is Scott Club. Somebody said meow. So Kitty Cat had to make an appearance. Yes. But anyways, so yes, that is, uh, I'm standing off screen, shame on me. I'm back. But yeah, so we are going to uh, go ahead. We're going to check out for tonight. If, uh, always happy to hear from you. You can drop us a note anytime. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back here talking with you all again next week. Yep. Have a good night, y'all. Bye. Have a good night. Good night.